I was impacted like everyone else with watching the trucker protests. And, and it didn't matter what side you were on. As Canadians, you were seeing an exercise in, in democracy, an exercise in association and, and getting their voices heard. Um, some people saw honking and, and disruption. I saw people who were uh, on their last leg, people who had been bankrupted, people who had no other choice and way to go. I think it's about time that we started getting away from the the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. There's uh, a large pool of individuals that didn't necessarily want to partake in any medical intervention, and they should have been allowed to do so without repercussion. I believe that, absolutely. Yeah, okay. See, I can't sound smart. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you once again for having it locked to the Launchpad podcast. My name is J-Man, and this is a podcast that celebrates and champions free speech. And I am so excited to have this gentleman on the podcast today. He has sat on, well, he was actually CEO of the BC Nurses Union, also a corporate director for NAV Canada. And now he is fighting for medical freedom in both the transportation and health sectors. Please welcome to the show, Omar Sheikh from Sheikh Law. How are you doing this morning? Hi, good afternoon, Jason. I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for having me. Right. So morning and and afternoon, we're in different time zones. So you're out in BC and you've been there for a little while now. Yeah, I've been in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia for 14 years. Uh, greatest place on earth. <laughs> Better than here, that's for sure. And our winters. Do you take part in any type of winter sports there or are you still doing the whole jogging, biking thing when the weather turns there? Yeah, I'm not a big winter sport or outdoors guy. I uh, I tend to stay away from animals and nature at, at all times. They don't like me. I don't like them. Um, so so we we do go to Whistler. We do partake in the hotels and the dinners, but we don't actually go outside and and do any of those activities that other British Columbians would do. But our family is unique like that. Right, and of course, upholding justice uh, for Canadians. And I think it's really interesting, obviously, coming from your background, sitting on the nurses union as a CEO, and then, of course, working for NAV Canada, and both of those establ establishments basically are the ones that you are basically jousting with right now in regards to medical freedom and transportation. Yeah, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize it that way. I mean, I, I sat on the board of NAV Canada. We we don't have any actions against them specifically, and and we don't have any actions against the nurses' union specifically. Mm -hmm. What we have are are ideological differences that that have developed. That that we 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 saw very early on in in when the vaccine rollout was taking place that you had these two camps, um, and and it was a very absolutist position. So you had those who were pro-science and accepted everything that was being said and, and cheered the vaccination. And then you had those that didn't want to get it. And one became the deplorable group and one became the virtuous societal group. And, and I think that that artificial divide was the first weak point in, in, in our analysis of whether or not we should make these mandatory vaccinations happen to folks. We, we looked at a lot more around virtue signaling and, and who was in the virtuous camp rather than what was going on behind the scenes and the impact on the individuals with their decisions they were making. And so we're, we're ideologically separated from, from where I once was with the organizations, but 
But I think that that ultimately my hope is that everyone comes around in Canada to seeing Canadians as one people and not two divided classes of individuals. Right. And what had you decide to take on this fight? I mean, I would assume throughout my experience with the pandemic that it would be kind of undesirable for people in your field to maybe take that stance. I'm sure maybe you've been called a, an anti-vaxxer. I'm not sure, uh, but that's generally kind of the rhetoric that gets thrown out there when someone wants to uphold their rights or, or believe that they have uh, some moral standing, some legal grounds in regards to their choice to take part in medical intervention. Yeah, I mean, look, I was impacted like everyone else with watching the trucker protests and and it didn't matter what side you were on as canadians you were seeing an exercise in in democracy and exercise in association and association and getting their voices heard um some people saw honking and and disruption i saw people who were uh, on their last leg people who had been bankrupted people who had no other choice and way to go and so um, so I, I, I was I was more and more involved as that was taking place. And during that time, uh, the firm was getting a number of calls on vaccine mandate issues. Uh, we we like every other firm probably got, uh, I don't know, 30 calls a day uh, in the beginning of this from individuals um, and, and initially it did not seem like something that you would want to take on just because of the reasons you had said there was this divide in categorizations and then. Uh, there was a Saturday, and this is a, a real story in downtown Victoria, where I'm with my 12-year-old son, um, and we're walking along to the harbor, and there's a Portuguese couple with a Canadian flag. And immediately, a group of woke individuals accost these folks and start yelling at them and, and, and then challenging them, saying, what charter rights do you have that have been violated, and, and other kind of serious questions like that. And these folks... English was their second language, but but they weren't lawyers either, and, and they weren't able to cite specific section 2A or 7 or or, or whatever they needed to. Um, and so I remember saying to my son, just just hang on here for a second. I, I can't I can't just stand here. So I got involved. Uh, I, I quoted the charter sections. I, I told them to leave the folks alone. And then they looked up and they called me a white supremacist. Um, and... And I knew at that time, I knew there was something fundamentally wrong with our discourse when Omar Sheikh is being called a white supremacist. Now, <laughs> you know, I don't think I would ever be allowed in that club. I don't think they'd let me near the, they'd probably let me in, but I wouldn't get out. Um, and, and so, you know, when, when I heard that, I knew that, that, that more than anything, this was a, an artificial divide. It wasn't based on, on anything real between Canadians. It was what we're being told about the other and how bad the other was and how good you are for getting shots four and five and six and whatever number you want to get to. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I felt compelled to get involved at that stage. Um, I knew that it was a, a massive uphill battle. I had experience dealing with flu vaccine mandate cases uh, through the, the nurses union in the past. And so um, so I got involved and very quickly we went from uh, four clients who were uh, excluded non-union BC public servants to hundreds in the public service sector and then the aviation sectors and the healthcare sectors and automotive sectors. And, and we started seeing the breadth of, of what had really occurred here, right? I mean, there's this, when we talk about the level of harm, it's not as simple as saying, oh, so-and-so is an anti-vaxxer, I'm going to go on with my day. And, and watch Netflix. 
because so-and-so was an anti-vaxxer, they've lost their income, they've lost their job, they don't get EI, they, they can't afford to pay their mortgage, they can't buy their kids birthday gifts, they can't participate in, in the Canadian economy, and they're completely finished. And so these folks are, are what you're categorizing as anti-vaxxers. These are your fellow Canadians that worked alongside you every single day throughout the lockdowns and, and everything else that was going on. And now, like for example, the healthcare workers in BC, you, you had pots and pans at 7 p.m. We were out there and, and making noise and yet they were fired and bankrupted first. Right. They were the first ones that, mm -hmm. that were tossed out the door. So, so when we look at that type of disproportionate impact, what results? The, the result has been despair, uh, suicides. Uh, we, we had numbers of people in the different groups we were working with that had committed suicide. Um, you have huge mental health issues and massive generational harm on these families. Yes. Is this worth it? Is mm -hmm. this worth it over, over a product? that you say is going to prevent transmission, but very clearly does not, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't prevent it. You've gotten three doses, you've gotten five, you're still getting COVID, you're still giving COVID. So let's stop the act and the charade of that. It doesn't prevent transmission, put that down. If you're not achieving that objective, why are you mandating? Right. Because a smoker is still allowed to smoke, a drinker is still allowed to drink to excess, you can do stuff to harm yourself. So if the only reality you say is true is that this prevents you from getting more sick, and if that's what you believe, that's fine. But if that's the reality, then that's an individual decision. Mm -hmm. It's got nothing to do with transmission and, and hurting others or saving grandma's life, which is what this was sold as. All right. Well, you're representing Greg Hill, who is a pilot, uh, one of my good friends that I've had on the podcast. And to echo your story in regards to the you know, first responders, frontline workers, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but a, a nurse uh, that I know from the GTA, uh, her name is Carla. She was also on the show, and it was just absolutely heartbreaking to see this woman who actually volunteered uh, to take part of the first COVID unit. So she says, yeah, I, I don't know what this is, but she felt this duty to have to come forward and serve. That's what she wanted to do. And this is, of course, when there were no vaccines available. And that was okay. I guess people were dispensable then because we were in a state of emergency. Uh, and then when it came around time to when these vaccines were available, and she said, you know what, I, I think I'm good. I've done my service for the past year or so, and, and I feel comfortable with it, then she's out of a job. And I think it's a very strong statement that you made in regards to it being a generational thing, uh, because this is divided families. I have friends that don't talk to me anymore. And it's just an absolute shame and really unnecessary. And when it comes down to upholding the law, and like you said, with that Portuguese family, what is it constitutionally, like fundamentally, what is wrong with what just happened? Well, there's many things, but but it, it's, a, it's a very convoluted layer of responsibility. So there's what happened, and then there's how you draw the lines of responsibility to the decision makers, right? And so if you're dealing with um, a highly regulated industry um, and in, or government itself as employers, um, you are very likely looking at an analysis under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which was based on our, our previous Bill of, uh, Bill of Rights. 
but the Charter of Rights and Freedoms has a number of different sections. In this case, we'd be looking at Section 2A, which is freedom of conscience. We'd be looking at Section 7, which is life, liberty, and the security of persons. And there we argue around the importance of employment, which is not something that's a, a fundamental right in Canada, but it is an argument that we make under there. We also argue around safety. Um, and then we look at Section 15 of the Charter, which is equal protection of the law. And so within within the, the land that is Canada, if you look at the top tier of, of those protections, of course, that's the constitution um, of this country. And, and so there we will see, you know, your, your main legal challenges that are currently ongoing around travel mandates. Um, they have survived the, the mootness challenge, which has re recently come up, which is fantastic for them. Um, and so they're they're proceeding. We're, we're seeing other challenges that are proceeding on charter grounds and human rights grounds. So when you go next from the charter, you then look at the, the human rights aspects of it, freedom of religion. You look at uh, medical issues and prohibited grounds for discrimination. So so what's gone wrong is is many, many things, depending on where you've landed in this process. So some people have had their religious freedoms violated and trampled on. Some people have had what they believe is fundamental medical privacy freedoms uh, trampled on. Some people have had their charter rights uh, trifled with, uh, and and to the extent it's justified, needs to be determined by the courts. But mm. but they've had those rights certainly trifled with, and so you you look at all of those harms, but but ultimately it's you know in in my opinion, the the reality of leadership. Um, is something that needs to be looked at when we look at what went wrong and where it went wrong. Th this country did a, 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 what I think is an astonishing thing during the, the lockdowns when this pandemic hit, people came together, whether that was people in the food industry, the grocery stores, the, the airlines, the hospitals, of course, people came together. The real divide uh, began with our, our political leaders espousing that there were two classes of Canadians and one was a fringe minority of, of bad people and, and the others weren't. This allowed the, in, in my opinion, this allowed all of that pent up frustration, unknown and fear that was built up in the pandemics inside of people. It was a huge mental health event to have an outlet and to say, it's these people that are still causing us harm. Now we have a defined enemy, not just this microscopic virus. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where the, the larger harm came from. And, and there you can start then seeing, um, you know, the, the policies that don't make sense. Um, and, and, we're, and today we're, we're having people terminated under a two-dose vaccination policy. So, so I think that that harm has to, has to be cured from the leadership of this country. I think the courts can only go so far and will only go so far. Um, and, and unfortunately, the, the leadership is the one that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And people, I think, well, I'll speak for my experience, <laughs> assuming that people will think the same, is that like, well, this is over now because we can travel and uh, it affects everyone differently. This is very dynamic, this, this whole deal. Mm -hmm. And for some, their lives have been affected not so much maybe the furthest that went for them was they just had to come home at work or maybe they always worked at home mm -hmm. uh and then uh temporary shutdowns uh but then in regards to the vaccine mandates 
I could personally care less about not being able to go to a restaurant and things of that nature. I know that would be a crux to your existence <laughs> as you covered right off the top. You love your restaurants. Um, but I, I feel that in regards to when it comes to healthcare and it, when, when it comes to travel, like detrimental industries to have these types of mandates in place. Number one, you're just talking about people's general health and not being able to see people that are potentially dying or have very little time left on this earth. Uh, and then also just losing really good nurses like the lady Carla that I spoke of because she decided not to get poked. And then on the travel side, it's not just a leisure thing, is that people have family all over the planet and to think that they weren't allowed to spend time and lose years uh, when, of course, we know we, we only have so many and we don't know how many more that we have. I hear your assessment, um, Jason. I, I think that there's two ways to look at mandates that I that I like to to categorize. One is transitory decisions, so decisions that that aren't trying to cause permanent change or harm, but are reactive to the let's call it the black swan event that is the mandate, right, mm -hmm. or, or the pandemic rather. Um, and so here you're looking at a scenario where let's say you don't know what the virus is, you don't know what it can do, you're watching. Italy, uh, and there's videos of mass graves and other right. things going on like that. So in this environment, making those, in my experience, making those decisions, you're never going to be right, but you've got to make some sort of headway. And so mm -hmm. travel bans, uh, lockdowns, banning public gatherings, I, I could see that. I, I can even allow for that in that environment because it, it makes sense. I think when you have the benefit, though, of understanding or at least the capability of understanding what is working, what isn't working, I think then, then you can abandon those transitory decisions and make some yeah. grounded policy decisions. The, the issue here is we didn't see that, right? And so when, when you have the prime minister lifting the, the mask mandates on, on airlines just a few days ago, in contrast to everywhere else in, in the world and what has been going on with masks and the efficacy of masks and even statements from public health officers on, on masking and what the impacts of that are, you know that we're not, we knew that information probably months ago, right? And so you could have curtailed the impact of those mandates months ago, you decided not to. And I think that's the, the, the real crux of it is the permanent side of the harm, right? So, so there will, will have been some transitory harm, but when you start firing people, you start taking away their livelihoods, you start bankrupting them, you, you make it so that they can't travel around this country despite clear evidence that they're not posing any additional risk or harm. That I think is is mm -hmm. the greater area to focus on. But but initially, you know, you have to allow for for decision makers to do whatever they have to do in, in reaction to what's happening. Right. That's a very fair point. And thank you for reining that in. Uh, I often say in regards to whatever that is happening right now is not to get so caught up in all the other things, which sometimes is very easy to do. Uh, what I tend to focus on personally is just choice. Like what this all really just came down to is I was just fighting for my choice and helping other people come around to uh, standing their ground and feeling comfortable about the choice that they want to make too, whether that is to have the medical intervention or not have the medical intervention. So thank you for coming in with that very uh, rational explanation, because at one point we all didn't know what this was. Mm -hmm. And we do rely on government to some degree to step in and make sure that we're safe. 
And what we're talking about here is that there's some people that feel that there was a gross overreach in regards to doing so. That's right. Or that, or that it went far beyond uh, where you could have possessed the requisite knowledge to understand the issue better and, and perhaps not mandate certain things. So, for example, with the vaccinations, um, what we look at when we examine drugs in this country or what anybody else looks at is something called the product monograph. Okay. And this is a filing by the drug company that says, here's everything my drug does, right? And the more things their drugs do, the more money they make, right? So my drug can can fix your headache, can fix your elbow and cure your cancer, right? So I get paid every time that happens. What's missing in the product monographs, even under emergency use authorization for these vaccinations is anything around transmission, mm. right? Just absent. And so it's in their best interest, of course, like other vaccine monographs to say it prevents the, the virus. That's the, that's the whole point of it. And there's a transmission issue. That's not there, right? And so where do we get this notion that the vaccine prevents um, transmission of COVID-19. Well, the only place that we could find was in the language itself, the word vaccine, right? Vaccine, by definition, prevents transmission, prevents illness of, of the virus. And so we get into this nomenclature of, well, it's a vaccine, and, and this is what it's doing, because mm -hmm. that's what vaccines do. It's not doing it. You didn't have studies that showed that that it would do that. You didn't have longitudinal studies that showed what the impacts would be on people. You didn't understand the extent to the myocarditis or the pericarditis or any of the other adverse reports because you, there was no data. No one can refute this. There was one study that was supposed to be a longitudinal study with a control group and, and a vaccinated group. And two weeks into the study, they gave the control group the vaccine. That, that is real, that is researchable, that is Pfizer's own admissions, that, that is all out there. And so when you have that, in contrast to what you believe in terms of the word vaccine, and you have this evidence, then perhaps mandating airline pilots, mandating people in healthcare, people in critical uh, situations where if they drop dead or something happened to them, we could impact many other lives. Perhaps that's not the greatest idea. And, and that is why Transport Canada, up until this vaccination, had that regulation in as part of requirements for pilots, that they will not be taking experimental drugs, right? And so, so we've kind of turned that all upside down and said, no, 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 this works. And everyone has said, well, it's reasonable because this is what we felt in August. But, but is it reasonable in terms of what data did you have to support what you were doing? You didn't. And so very quickly, after your mandates, you certainly knew by then that it wasn't preventing transmission, or at least you knew when you got it, mm -hmm. right? After you had three doses and you got COVID, which seems to be everybody. And, and so you say, at least you knew then, right? And, mm -hmm. the, and the answer, of course, is no, it's safe and effective. It mm -hmm. prevents, right? Because you're so enshrined in the ideology that you're not actually looking, look around your own household and see if people have gotten COVID who are vaccinated, mm -hmm. right? You'll know. I mean, I don't need to present some Perry Mason argument and, and stand here and have an aha moment and say, look, you knew it wouldn't prevent transmission. Everyone knows it doesn't prevent transmission. Mm -hmm. It's just now a matter of, of putting it through the courts. I'm not saying that's going to be a successful argument, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a, it's a real argument. It's the truth as to what's going on. Right. Now, in regards to precedent, and I know in regards to law, is that often what happens is there's a predecessing case, and that it generally stands as the standard as to 
how judgments are are laid out moving forward. And I'm not sure if that's just in criminal law or just stuff that I watch on TV. <laughs> Probably stuff I just watch on TV. Um, but it's still troublesome to me that we just had Western University. There's universities that are still enforcing these mandates. And uh, we're in unprecedented times. Like we have not seen something like this before here in Canada, I don't think. So how alarming is it to see things like this? Or or is this a just action by them? Jason, can I just... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got this sure. weird kind of glow happening. I think that's better. Yeah, no um, problem. Sorry. Okay, you, you so, can edit that out. No problem. <laughs> You're just going to put the work on me, huh? I'm yeah, leaving yeah. that in there. Okay. <laughs> this ain't Rebel News. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so in regards to just the precedents that are being set, like, are these legal actions that are being taken by, yeah. the, by the universities, like, the, they're well within their grounds to say so? That's what the court has said, yeah. Right. I mean, the, the Western challenge occurred. It, it did not go uh, in favor of the students. It went in favor of the booster. Uh, there's been a challenge on a private company that was released yesterday on a vaccine mandate that the court ruled it was legitimate and, and reasonable uh, to do that. There have been arbitration decisions on the mandates that have ruled there are reasonable. And so, you know, look, there are, there are precedents that are developing every day. There are cases in different areas of the mandates touching on different things, like we talked about human rights versus charter rights and private rights and other rights. Um, and, and so, you know, there are decisions coming out. Ultimately, the way the, the judicial system will will we'll solve this issue is that there will be an appeal and and there will be a, a final decision whether that's at the court of appeal level or the supreme court of canada but but there does need to be some clear delineation of what the rights are of employees and what the rights are of employers and 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 more generally what the rights are of of citizens of this country to um to not want to get a a level of economic coercion where where they lose everything if they don't comply with the, the state's mandate or directive. Mm -hmm. And Omar, what have you learned most throughout going through this experience? Because I'm sure this has been unique. Uh, it's mm -hmm. definitely been trying as we have covered. So what would be your, your number one takeaway in regards to what this experience has given you? Yeah, I've learned that Canadians are, are for the large part, one of the most amazing people out there. Um, what, what I saw with the, the folks that were bankrupted, uh, that are still bankrupted, that are still impacted, the thousands of folks in the various different groups that we work with um, across this country, is I saw people come together. I saw people supporting each other. Even when the government wouldn't, they set up hardship funds and, and helped each other, and they're still doing that every single day. Um, people like Greg that you mentioned and, and others in different societies that, that we represent do that. So I, I saw the best of, of, of this group that had been that had mostly lost everything and had every reason to give up and, and just be angry. I saw them come together and support each other. Now, we don't know if we're going to be successful in any of these cases, and we're quite honest and open about that as, as the environment is what it is. But we do know that if we don't try and if we don't we don't do anything, then we just simply accept the status quo. And we're not prepared to do that. The, the clients aren't prepared to do that. Um, and and so I'm I'm hopeful um, that what I'm seeing translates to the broader population. When you and, and one of the things that gives me that hope 
is the third shot uh, of vaccination where 40% or so of Canadians have not received mm -hmm. their third dose. That That is a significant uh, number of people who, um, who have said stop or enough for whatever reason. And so that leads me to believe it's very difficult to bring back those mandates because you're going to impact a, a significant number of people. So I, I see hope as well. All right. And now for, for people that feel that they've, they've been done wrong, uh, that there has been a legal action taken against them, whether it be they've been placed on leave without pay or whether they lost their job. At this point, is there any recourse for them legally uh, that they could move forward on to maybe, whether it be collect a severance, maybe get their job back, whatever it might be? It, what would be some action steps that maybe they could take to get on that track? Yeah, so there's a number of different um, ways to do that, depending on how your employment is structured. So right now, we know that a number of grievances are underway in the labor arbitration world, uh, trying to seek reinstatement for people and getting people back into their jobs. Mm -hmm. On the on the civil claim side, um, you can go in for a wrongful dismissal claim, depending on, on the company and the policy. Of course, there's specifics to it, but potentially a wrongful dismissal claim um, and, and sue for your severance that you would otherwise be entitled to um, and didn't get. And so that's another way to do that. The other way that people are supporting is there are, excuse me, uh, numbers of not-for-profit societies that have been set up around different provinces and different industries that are launching legal campaigns on a variety of areas and, and subjects to do with the mandates. And they can always join one of those groups uh, and get involved as well. All right. And I'd also like to say a thank you. I had been watching another interview and I know that you took on some cases and helped out some people uh, that didn't have the resources at the time. Now, that's a while back. I'm not saying everyone like <laughs> load this guy up with a whole bunch of work, but just to say thank you, because that's not an easy thing to do. Everyone's out there uh, trying to make a living. And the fact that you would take some of your dedicated time uh, especially with a family, your friends, and your own legal practice, and to be able to share that time with other people, I think says a lot about who you are, Omar, and I really have enjoyed this chat that we had today. Well, well, thank you very much. It's been an honor working with everybody, and it's been a pleasure being on your show. Thanks for having All me. right, absolutely, and maybe we'll talk again sometime in the future, and thank you so much to everyone for having it locked. I hope that you found uh, this to be helpful. I, I believe that Omar has resonated with you, uh, maybe giving you some hope, a little bit more understanding. And until next time, you take care of you well and love simply because you can. Thank you very much, Omar. That was I love that. that I love that sign off, Jason. That was great. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> like my my podcast is all about it's um, which is why I, I genuinely appreciated when you kind of scaled things back a little bit, because uh, with everything that went on over the past three years. It's so easy to kind of just get caught up or on a tangent, and then you completely kind of forget what frustrated you in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it's really important people to come back to like to the to the fundamentals, which was for me just choice and trying to come at this from a place of love and abundance. And I want people uh, uh, from your rebel thing, you know, the left and the right. I, I want the left to stick around just as much as the right, because mm -hmm. when we when we lose. Um, when we lose the opposition, then how do you ever come to greater understanding and better policy? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's the old Plato playbook, right? Dis, uh, 
dialogue is is the root of all knowledge and and so absolutely we, we need to do that yeah thank you so i'm i'm very intuitive in regards to the people that i that i have on my show and i'm always looking for that right person and i and i came across you and i just knew you were that guy so i really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to have this mm -hmm. chat with me me and too i look forward to seeing the podcast good and i'll <laughs> i'll let you know i'll i'll put that out it's going to start in about uh, 2 weeks i launch my my next season and okay. I, I would hope that maybe somewhere down the road if there was something else that popped up maybe we could have a chat about it Happy to. Absolutely. All right. You take care, Omar. Right. Take care. Sir. Okay. Bye-bye.